I'm glad you're here tonight, and uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the Christmas season. We're so, so thankful for our families and for the opportunities we have to spend time with them and to, to just celebrate the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we come to you tonight, we pray in the name of Jesus that through the Holy Spirit's ministry, you would give us rich insights into the, this important prophecy in the book of Ezekiel. Lord, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand it and to apply it properly to our lives. Lord, we're so thankful that we serve a God who knows the future, a God who has already ordained what would happen, and Father, we praise you that everything that's happening in the world is happening according to your plan and your will. Lord, I thank you that in the Bible you show us how it all plays out in the end. And we're so thankful that we're going to be a part of your eternal kingdom as born-again believers. And we will be with you forever and ever and ever in a perfect paradise. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I, I was studying uh, for this session tonight, it, it hit me the, about the placement of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, I, I think that placement uh, has some important ramifications. For instance, in Ezekiel 37, we have the vision of the dry bones coming to life. And you know what that means. We've already been over chapter 37. It's a picture of the, the revival, the renewal, the reconstitution of the nation of Israel. Remember, the nation of Israel basically was, was booted out of their land, the land that God gave them in A.D. 70. And they didn't come back into the land and become a nation until May the 14th, 1948. And um, the, all of that, what happened on May the 14th, 1948, is a fulfillment of the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, okay? Then you go over to Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48, and it's a, a prophecy about the millennial reign of Christ, including the millennial temple. And then sandwiched in between those two is Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, um, I, I think we can assume from that that this prophecy, the prophecy of 38 and 39, the war of Gog and Magog, will take place somewhere between the time of 1948 when the nation of Israel was reconstituted and the, return, the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Somewhere along in that large swath of time, the war of Gog and Magog will take place. I am not prepared to uh, uh, give a precise time for that because I don't know. I just don't know. I, I, a lot of scholars have made educated guesses, but nobody can say for sure when it will happen. There are even some 
over in, in Revelation chapter 20, there is, is a, a, a revelation of what will happen at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. There, there's going to be another war of Gog and Magog. And people say, well, that's the war of Gog and Magog. No, it's, it can't be. It absolutely cannot be that, okay? So somewhere between 1948 and, and the second coming of Jesus, the war of Gog and Magog will take place. Now, we are given some hints and we're given some some signposts that if we're paying attention, we can get some ideas, and we're going to look at some of those tonight. Um, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, the Bible says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, if I had a large map up here and I were to show you the Nile River in Egypt and the Euphrates River that runs along Iraq there, you would be amazed at how much landmass God promised the nation of Israel. By the way, they have never in their history, even in their heyday with King David, they never have occupied or, or, that's a bad word to use with, with, with what we're talking about. They've never had uh, use of that much of the land. Never have. So from the, the Nile River in Egypt to the river Euphrates, God said, that's what I'm giving you. Okay. Now, in the, the, the Balfour declaration in 1917, uh, the, the, the British realized that the, the, the nation of Israel needed their homeland. They had been dispersed throughout the world. They had been persecuted throughout the world. They needed a homeland. And they offered, listen, 1917, they offered uh, Israel a homeland, and they offered the Palestinians a homeland, okay? Now, it was even what they offered under the Balfour Declaration was more than what um, they, they currently have. Right now, they, their land mass is about the size of New Jersey, okay? It's a very small land mass. Now, the reason I, I wanted to, to bring this out it is because when you come to Gog and Magog, there are three major players in that war. We talked about it last week. It's Russia, it's Turkey, and it's Iran. Iran okay? Now, please understand me. That, those three, we're pretty sure, almost positive, that they are going to be the key leaders of this war of Gog and Magog. When you drill down a little more, you see that the other nations that will join them will be Libya, Sudan, which is listed as Ethiopia here, possibly Germany, which is listed as Gomer, and um, um, let's see, yeah, that's it. So there, there are five nations as a part of this. The leader of this coalition of rabid anti-Semites will be Gog, 
Remember we talked about Gog is not a place, it's not a country. Gog is a title. It means czar, it means uh, ruler, president, whatever you want to call him. But it's like, he'll likely be a Russian dictator or czar. We talked last week, could Putin possibly be this Gog that's mentioned here in uh, Ezekiel chapter 38? And, and we can't say for sure, nobody can say for sure. We talked about some of the indicators, and he could be. He very well could be. But we can't say for sure that he is the one. I, I do find it interesting that none of Israel's neighboring nations are mentioned in this war of Gog and Magog, not a single one of them. Now, one possible explanation is that Psalm 83 pictures a war with the inner circle of nations that could result in the peaceful conditions that Israel experiences before the war of Gog and Magog. Just take, take your Bible, flip over to Psalm 83. Some of the Psalms are very prophetic. Psalm 22 is very prophetic. Psalm 2 is very prophetic. Psalm 110 is very prophetic. And Psalm 83 is very prophetic also. Let's just look at it for just a moment. I don't want to read the whole thing, but, but I do want to read just a part of it. Oh God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent, O God, and do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. They, have, they make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one mind. You see, anti-Semitism didn't start on October the 7th, 2023. It's been going on since the days of Genesis, okay? Anti-Semitism is a major problem, has been a major problem, and will forever be a major problem until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes. You go over to, um, let me see. Look at verse 6. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the, the Hagrites, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre, Syria has also joined with them. They have become a help to the children of Lot. Deal with them as with Midian. And the, the, the psalmist here is saying, destroy them the way you destroyed Midian. And so it goes on, and, and it basically, it's, it, it's a picture uh, of the destruction or, or, the, uh, or the, the insignificance of the nations that surround Israel today, okay? So that very well could be the reason that none of these nations are mentioned when it comes to the war of Gog and Magog, the ones close to, to Israel today. Now, the nations involved in this end-time drama are moving into place as we speak today. 
you realize that in Syria, which is just across the northern border there in Israel, in, in, in Syria, Russia and Iran are actively engaged right now within a stone's throw of Israel, okay? They are two of the, the, the major players that we see in this end-time drama. This, this problem of anti-Semitism, according to University of Massachusetts professor of criminology, Arlie Perlinger, listen to this quote. The U.S. is currently experiencing one of the most significant waves of anti-Semitism that it has ever seen. This wave predates the October 7th massacre that initiated the war between Israel and Hamas. In 2022, incidents of harassment rose 29% compared to 2021. Acts of vandalism surged 51% and physical assaults jumped 26% to an average of 10 reported incidents a day. The week after Hamas, this blows my mind. The week after Hamas terrorists attacked Israeli civilians, anti-Semitic incidents tripled compared to the same week in 2022. It's not only in America. It's in London, England. It's in Paris. It's in all the major parts of the world. There is an absolute explosion of anti-Semitism. But have you ever thought, what's the source of this? Why do the people of the world hate Israel so badly? Why? Well, I think there is obviously a spiritual reason for that. Look at Revelation 12, 1 through 6. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon, now who's the dragon? That's Satan, right? And the dragon stood before the woman. Who's the woman? The woman is Israel. And the dragon, Satan, stood before the woman, Israel, who was about to give birth, who was she about to give birth to? The Messiah, the Lord Jesus, that he might devour her child. What did Herod do when Jesus was born in Bethlehem? You remember what he did? He sent his henchmen down there to find out if he was there or not, and, and he had every baby, baby boy killed from the age, I believe it was two down. It was a murderous, savage act that he perpetrated there in Bethlehem. But God told Joseph and Mary to take their son, the Messiah, where? To Egypt, right? To safety in Egypt. 
Then the Bible goes on to say here in verse 5, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, we've got to understand that this Bible, from beginning to end, focuses on the nation of Israel. Do you realize that? Think about this. God created the nation of Israel. How did, how did he create the nation of Israel? He went into present-day Iraq and he tapped the shoulder of a Gentile by the name of Abram. Remember that? Abram was not a Jew. Abram was a, a pagan Gentile. And God, by his grace, tapped his shoulder and said, Look, I want you to go to this place I'm going to show you, you and your wife Sarai, and I want you to plant your life there. And God says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And that nation will be as many as a sand on the seashore, grains of sand on the sea, as many as the stars of the heavens. And Abram obeyed God. And God made a covenant with Abram. You find it right there in chapter 12 of Genesis. And then you find it again in chapter 15 I read a moment ago. And God promised that he would bless Israel and he would bless any nation that is a blessing to Israel. That's why it's so important for our nation to stand with Israel. I'm getting a little concerned by some of the rhetoric coming from our leaders. Rhetoric like this. Well, go in there, but be careful. Don't be too harsh. Don't be too harsh. Um, we need a, a ceasefire. They, they're constantly talking about a ceasefire. Well, Israel has just experienced one of the worst atrocities since the Holocaust. I think they have a right to go in and deal with a terrorist organization, not, not innocent Palestinians by the way, there are Palestinians who believe that Israel has a right to exist. We're not talking about them. We're talking about a terrorist organization. Hamas is a terrorist organization. What blows my mind is the UN will not even call them a terrorist organization. They won't do it. And, and we're, fa we're facing this kind of anti-Semitism in the world in which we live today. Now, rem remember this. God sent a Savior for the world through who? Israel, right? Jesus was born in Israel. Jesus lived in Israel. Jesus taught and ministered in Israel. Jesus died on the cross in Israel. Jesus rose from the dead in Israel. Jesus ascended back to heaven from Israel. And Jesus is going to come again. And guess where he's coming to? He's coming back to Israel. I mean, listen, everything 
in the Bible is built around the nation of Israel. They're, they're the covenant people of God. God created Israel in order that they might share the good news with the world. Now, they didn't do a good job with that. They sort of turned in on themselves and didn't take the message, the good news of God to the world in their day. And, and as a result, God uh, had, had to, to judge them, had to judge the people of Israel. That's why I believe what happened in A.D. 70 happened. It was a judgment of God upon the covenant people of God. But that does, listen, what happened in A.D. 70 does not undo the covenant that God made with Abraham and the nation of Israel. It's still in place. Now, look at Romans chapter 9, verses 3 to 5. Paul wrote this. Remember, this is New Testament now. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. That's why, listen, that's why we have got to keep an eye on what's happening in Israel. If you want to stay prophetically in gear, you have got to watch what's happening in Israel. Because it's a, it's a picture of what God's doing in the world. Now, now think about the dragon here in Revelation chapter 12. His consuming passion as Revelation chapter 12 demonstrates so beautifully, his consuming passion is to exterminate the Jews, to exterminate them. And, and by the way, that is, that is Hamas's stated objective according to their covenant they made in 1988. You can look it up. Google it. The, the Hamas covenant was signed in 1988, and part of that covenant is the extermination of the Jews, the Jewish people. Uh, Iran talks about it all the time, about driving the Jews into the Mediterranean, exterminating the Jews. That is the stated objective of Hamas, Hezbollah, and these other terrorist organizations. Now, look what John Stone Street and Timothy Paget observed. The, I quote, the prince of darkness can never win his fight with heaven. But in defiant desperation, he incites people to commit evil and inflict pain, especially on those through whom God works in redemption. That would be the nation of Israel. And by the way, that would be the Christian church. I, I think one of the things that Jesus uh, made clear to us in the, in the Sermon on the Mount right there in, in um, Matthew chapter 5 is that persecution is going to be something we have to deal with. We are going to suffer. We are going to have to deal with persecution at a level that none of us in this room have ever had to deal with before. It's coming because Satan 
has a, a, a devious, zealous desire to destroy anybody or any group of people who is in any way connected with God's redemptive plan. Now, our plan is the gospel. And I can tell you, Satan hates the gospel. And he hates any church that stands for the gospel. And any believer that wants to share the gospel, he's coming after you. That's just a fact. John Phillips said, no nation on earth has suffered so severely and for so long as Israel. None. Nobody can compare with them. As we approach Christmas, the continued existence of the Jewish people as a nation serves as a powerful witness to God's power and to his faithfulness. Let me tell you, the Nazis could not eliminate and exterminate the Jewish people. The Ottoman Empire could not destroy the Jewish people. The Babylonians could not destroy the Jewish people. The Persians could not destroy the Jewish people. And you go right, the, the, the Greeks could not destroy the Jewish people. The Romans could not destroy the Jewish people. And, and you just keep on going up through the ages. And there's always been somebody who's wanted to exterminate the Jewish people and destroy the Jewish nation. And the very fact that there is a nation, a tiny nation the size uh, of New Jersey over there in the Middle East today is a testimony to the faithfulness of God and to the fact that God keeps his promises. And we ought to be blessed by that. Right here in this building tonight, we ought to be blessed by that. Now, let, let's look. Last week we finished with verse 9 of Ezekiel 38. Let's look at verses 10 to 12. Thus says the Lord God, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to Gog, the leader of this evil coalition that's going to come against the nation of Israel in the last days. So it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. It, it, isn't that amazing? God knows exactly what they're going to think, right? Look at verse 11. And you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go against, up against those who are at rest, that live securely, all of them living without walls and having no bars or gates, to capture spoil and to seize plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited and against the people who are gathered from the nations. That's the Jewish people who have acquired cattle and goods who live, look at this, at the center of the world. That's the word of God. That, that's not some Baptist preacher who's coined that little phrase. That's the word of God. The word of God says that Israel, and one translation has it, is the navel of the world, the navel. the center of the world. Everything in God's program revolves around Israel. That's what it's saying. Now, look at this. This section of Ezekiel 
focuses on reasons for this invasion. Why, why in the world would Russia and Turkey and Iran and these other nations come together to attack Israel to exterminate the Jewish people? Why, why in the world would they do it? Well, the, the first reason would be demonically inspired hate. They just hate the Jewish people. Iran is especially famous for its constant decrees and, and threats of destroying the Jewish nation and driving them into the sea. But there's another reason why they're going to come against Israel, and that's materialism, money. That's what verse 12 emphasized, to capture spoil and to seize plunder. Now, you may be saying, well, pastor, what is this great spoil and plunder that Israel has? Well, we know for, fact, for a fact that, that Israel is a technological giant today. They are a giant in the field of technology. Man, there are more, there are more uh, Nobel Peace Prizes that have been handed out to Jews than any other group of people in the world. And, and look at, at the size of this nation compared with America or, 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 or Britain or whatever. Now look, there are reasons why. What, what could these riches be? Well, look at this. Israel has discovered two massive ga gas fields in the last 10 years called Leviathan and Tamar that are worth billions, that's with a B, billions of dollars. Further gas and energy finds within Israel could be a major incentive for Russia and this coalition of evil to come against the nation of Israel because they want their energy. Look, look at this second one. Sitting fairly and squarely, I read this in the Jerusalem Post, sitting fairly and squarely within Israel's territorial waters although spilling out somewhat to the north and east and encompassing about 83,000 square miles is a so-called Levant Basin. In April 2010, the U.S. Geological Survey estimated that no less than 1.7 billion, that's with a B, barrels of oil and 122 trillion, that's with a T, um, cubic feet of gas were recoverable from this vast and long unsuspected energy reserve. A year later, a year later, in light of subsequent discoveries, their estimate was up to 200 trillion cubic feet of gas. That's a Jerusalem Post. And then in the Jerusalem Post, it said this, the political implications of Israel joining the gas and oil exporting nations is less easy to assess. Oil certainly means power, but power, especially attached to a Jewish nation, is a two-edged sword. This is in the Jerusalem Post, okay? In a world in which global anti-Semitism is on the rise, as Daniel Coldhanged recently pointed out, look at this quote. Nothing incites anti-Semites more than the specter of Jews being powerful. You, you want to know a reason 
why Russia and this coalition is going to come against the nation of Israel in the last days? Here's a perfect reason. Now, we know that the Dead Sea is full of all kinds of just an abundance of, uh, of minerals and chemicals, okay? And it's very valuable, very valuable. So that's another thing that they've got going for them that this, these nations may come against. Joel Rosenberg wrote this. He said, while the Bible clearly explains that the Lord will bring the Jewish people back to the land of Israel and allow them to reclaim their God-given ownership of the land. No, and th this is a great word for us. Nowhere in the Bible are Jews or any group of people given a license to commit injustice. To the contrary, the Bible teaches that Israelis are commanded to love their neighbors, Leviticus 19.18. The Bible also teaches that Israelis are commanded to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. That's the Jewish Messiah made that statement in Matthew 5:44. The Jews do have rights to the ownership of the land, but they also have responsibility to govern justly, compassionately, and in accordance with the Scriptures. In Leviticus 19, 33 and 34, for example, the Lord says, when a stranger, that's a non-Jew, resides with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I, th I think we've got to make sure that in light of the atrocities that happened on October the 7th, and in light of this anti-Semitism and hatred toward the nation of Israel. We've got to be careful. We've got to stay balanced, okay? We cannot go to an extreme on either side. We've got to be balanced and balanced on the Word of God, right? Now, let's move to the next section of our study. By the way, Joel Rosenberg, who wrote that's a Jew. He's, his, his home is in Israel. He's living in Israel as we speak. So let's look at verses 13 to 16. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages will say to you, have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder and to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods and to capture great spoil? Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, that's the leader. Now, that's the leader of Russia and this, this coalition. Thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great assembly and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel. You see what God says here? He says, my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land and it shall come about in the last day. When will it happen? It'll happen in the last days. Do you know when the last days started? The last days started when Jesus ascended back to heaven, was resurrected from the dead. That's when the last days started. We are living in the last days. I can say that with absolute assurance. But this is going to happen in the last part of the last days. 
Look at verse 15. You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great assembly and a mighty army, and you will come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. Now, now listen to me very carefully. Here's the picture. Sheba is the ancient name for Arabia. That would be Saudi Arabia today. Dedan is the ancient name for the region of the Persian Gulf, where we currently call the, what we currently call the Emirates, the United Arab, Arab Emirates, Kuwait, etc. And Tarshish is the ancient name for the Gold Coast of Spain. Thus, the merchants of Tarshish with all its villages, it generally thought uh, to, to be the, the business and political leaders of Europe and the West. So the prophecy here indicates that Saudi, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf states, Europe, the Western powers are not a coalition against Israel in the last days, but they are a coalition who want to, wants to get in on some of the cash that Gog and, and, and his army want to extract from the Jewish people when they exterminate them and they take over their land. They want a piece of the pie. Now, look at verse 15 and 16. You will come out of the remote parts of the north, you and many peoples with you. You will come against my people Israel like a cloud. And, and so he says that, that, that just as, as God raised up Pharaoh back in the days of Joseph and Moses, just as God raised up Pharaoh to demonstrate his almighty sovereign power to the people of Israel, so the Lord will use Gog in the last days to show the nations that he is God, that the Lord is God and there is no other God. It's going to be a powerful display of the sovereignty and the power of the living God. We're going to see that real clear here in just a moment. Look at verse 17 and 19. Thus says the Lord God, are you the one of whom I spoke in former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you against them? It will come about on that day when God comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in anger. In my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Now, I want you to understand something. Gog and Magog, Russia, Iran, Turkey, these other nations that come against the nation of Israel in the last days, I want you to understand that God is the one who is initiating this. G-O-D, God is initiating that. He's drawing them into this to display his glory and his power and his holiness to the nations of the world. God is sovereign. The Bible, Jeremiah said this, God has the power to plant nations 
And he has the power to uproot nations. God is sovereign over every nation and every leader on this globe. Now, all of this was prophesied, not, not just by Ezekiel, but by, as you see here, Isaiah, Joel, Zechariah. They prophesied this last day's uh, group from the north coming to attack the nation of Israel. And God gets furious. It's a picture here uh, of the, the breath of an angry man. Have you ever seen a guy really get angry? How many really gets angry? And, and what does he do? He, he breathes out of nuts. <laughs> you know, he, he just, he's, he's trying to control himself or not control himself. And God will unleash a powerful earthquake. Now look at verses 20 to 22. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep on the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth. Do you see that? All the men who are on the face of the earth. This is a worldwide thing, folks. All the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence, at the presence of God. The mountains also will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse and every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him on my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and with blood, I will enter into judgment with Gog. It's talking about Gog and, and the coalition here with him. And I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. So here's the picture. You've got Russia, you've got Iran, you've got Turkey, and these other nations that have, have come along with us, Sudan, and these other nations that are part of this coalition, and they're coming against Israel. By, by the way, almost all of these nations are fundamentalist Islamist nations, almost all of them. And they're coming against Israel. And God is going to judge. God is, is bringing them into this battle, and God is bringing them into this battle to judge them before the whole world so that the whole world will know that God is God. Look at the last page here. Gogs, gogs. I had to had to really say that word, G-O-G, Gog, Gog's enormous coalition outnumbers the Jewish people. But it's an amazing amount, and, and the outlook will look absolutely bleak. Can you imagine the Jewish people when, when they see this horde of people coming from the north and this vast army coming like a cloud, the Bible says, upon the nation of Israel, and there's no defense for that. I don't care how strong the Israeli military might be at this time. There's no defense for this kind of outlandish number of warriors coming against the, the nation of Israel. But verses 21 and 22 reveal that the God of Israel will demonstrate his power and act on behalf of the Jews in four specific ways. Number one, a huge earthquake. This has to be the, 
the mother of all earthquakes, okay? That's talking about right here. And then Gog's army, this is what's interesting. Gog's army will panic and turn on each other. Hey, if we had time, we'd go over to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 to 23. And in that, that chapter, there's a story of Jehoshaphat, who is a leader of God's covenant people. And a great, huge crowd of warriors have come against Israel from these other nations, and Israel is so badly overwhelmed and outnumbered, there's just no chance for them to survive. You know what Jehoshaphat did? He got along with God, and he prayed. And he, he said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And God gave a word to a prophet in that group, and that prophet told them what, to, what God wanted them to do. And do you know what, what uh, Jehoshaphat did on the day they went to battle? On the day they went to battle, he called the children of Israel together, and he said, okay, we're going to fight this group, but God's going to fight for us. And you know what he did? He sent the choir out in front of the army. The choir was out front to meet the enemy, and then the army was behind them. Now, that's faith, isn't it? And you know what happened? God confused that massive army, and they began to turn on each other. And when the, the children of Israel and Jehoshaphat came over the the hill, they found them just, their bodies just everywhere and plunder galore because they had killed each other. And that's what God did then is exactly what's going to happen in the, the battle of Gog and Magog. God's going to cause Iran to turn against Turkey and Turkey to turn against Russia and so on and so forth until they just wipe each other out. But look, look there's one more thing I want you to see here. Two more things. Pestilence will break out among the invading army. The Bible says it right here in the text. Some kind of disease, a rapid disease will destroy a large number of the, the, the armed forces. And then God will unleash fire, brimstone, hail, and torrential rain. It's almost like a picture of Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. And God will show himself strong on behalf of his covenant people, and God will be glorified. Now, this is no coincidence. This is not something that just is a happenstance type thing. God's fingerprints are all over this, all over it. The sovereign, holy, and just God is bringing his judgment upon these ungodly, demon-inspired people who hate the covenant people of Israel. Now look at the last verse, verse 23. God, said, God says this, I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, make myself known in the sight of many nations that they will know that I am the Lord. And you say, well, how in the world are all the nations of the world going to glorify God and be sanctified? be sanctified by, by seeing what God does here. Well, think about the technology of today. Listen, 
If you burp in Australia, we'll know it in America within the next split second, right? So think about it. Social media, television, every, there, there, look, there is no doubt that at this point in time, NBC, ABC, Fox News, all, they'll all be over there in the Middle East and their, their cameras will be trained on all of this and God will be glorified all over the world because of what he's doing. That's what it's all about, right? But let's, let's just drop it down into our own lives. If it's God's will for him to be glorified in this moment in these last days, don't you think it's his will for him to be glorified in this church? Don't you think it's his will for him to be glorified in our individual lives as we live out our lives every day in a world that's going haywire, absolutely haywire? Absolutely, folks. That's God's will. You know, the Bible says, in, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6 or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that you were given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells your body. And the Bible says that you are to glorify God in your body. Your body belongs to God. Every part of you belongs to God. And you know what we ought to do when we get up in the morning? We ought to set as our goal. We ought to say, Lord, help me to glorify you today. Help me to glorify you. Help me to please you and honor you today. And then do that every single day that we live as long as we have a breath in our body. Hey, this has been good stuff. Now listen, we've got one more week. Next week, I've got to cover all of 39. I need your prayers. That's 29 verses. So uh, come with your, your, your pen and hyperdrive, and, and, and we're going to cover those 39 verses, and we're going to ask God to speak to us. I, I, next week is the last week of our Wednesday night until after Christmas, okay? So I want to finish this next week. So let's pray and, and let's just come ready to hear what God has for us next week. We've covered a lot of ground. Chapter 36, chapter 37, chapter 38. One more chapter. Let's finish well, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Father, as we close out our time, and as we look at verse 23 of chapter 38, where you say that you will magnify yourself, you will sanctify yourself, you will make yourself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that you are the Lord. Lord, I pray that anybody that we meet will know that we are believers, that we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah. And I pray, Lord, that every person that we meet, just by watching the way we carry ourselves, the, way, the things we say, the things we do, that they will know that you are the Lord, that you are the Lord God, and there's no other God beside you. 
Lord, I pray we'd be so committed to you and so sold out to you that you would be glorified in and through our lives every single day. Lord, we love you and bless you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.